Good morning. You all right? Not too warm? It's warm, isn't it? Um, just before I get on to talk about what I want to talk about, um, I felt God speak to me during the worship. Um, I think we were singing that song in Christ alone. And uh, oh, that's good. Um, And I just had that phrase, um, changing of the guard, come to my mind. And of course, and then I immediately had a picture of Buckingham Palace and um, literally the changing of the guard. And uh, I thought, oh, what does that mean? And uh, I just felt like God said to me that this morning, actually not just this morning, I think we're almost in, in a season or we're about to come into a season, sorry if I'm not articulating this very well, of new vision, um, a sense of refreshing, um, a sense of new perspective, new resources. So, you know, um, when we see changing of the guard, obviously weary soldiers are able to march off, <laughs> get some refreshing, and new soldiers come on and, um, and protect, don't they? And I just had a sense that um, for many of us this morning, in fact, all of us this morning, we're all frontline warriors, aren't we? We're all out there in the world doing our stuff, being our awesome selves. And uh, I just feel like God wants to give us, as a body, but individually and as a body, new perspective, new strength, almost heightened um, protection, if you like. Um, hang on a minute. Let me get my phone back on again because I wrote it down. Um, yeah, new energy, new strength. Does that make sense? Um, so hopefully this morning, um, and I, again, I thought the worship was excellent, as it always is. Um, hopefully you will get a sense of that as we go through the morning. Um, as you'll see from the title, that's just pinged up there, or it might have been there for a while. Um, this morning I want to talk about glorious jars of clay. Did you know that you are glorious? Did you also know you're a jar of clay? Oopsie daisy, that's gone a bit too far. Um, I could have used any number of titles this morning for what I want to talk about. I could have called it What to Do When Life Sucks. Empowering Grace for When Life is Hard. What do I do when I'm in pain? Or if the works of Jesus is actually finished, why is life so flipping difficult at times? Or simply good news for tough times. So whilst I was preparing for this, because um, I had a little bit of a free reign um, for this morning, um, I thought to myself, actually, if you've been around Oasis for probably five or six years or more, um, you'll have heard um, us reiterate and communicate grace and the finished work of the cross and that nothing is impossible and that everyone is significant. And it probably wouldn't be unreasonable to think that in the mix of all of that lot, we've communicated somehow that life can't be difficult. Life can't be challenging. It's not entirely unreasonable to think that because we believe unequivocally in the finished work of the cross and that nothing is impossible, we're somehow saying that we're immune to injustice or emotional hurt or relational problems or work difficulties, like problems and difficulties in life are for other people, not for us. Now, that could just be me. If it is, um, then it's just me. <laughs> um, but this morning, I'm going to use words like trials, suffering, pain, difficulties, challenges, but I'm sure you get the gist. Glorious jars of clay. Because I think if we want to cultivate a culture of authenticity, which I think we do, we cannot ignore that pain and suffering do exist. 
But alongside that, to know we have extraordinary resources at our disposal, at our disposal to overcome any situation, to bring about, to bring into fruition victory and breakthrough. Because we have a great high priest, don't we? Whose name is love. He redeems, he restores, he renews. And the good news is we have a gospel that is, by definition, good news. It's good. God is good. Let me say right at the, right at the top, God is good. He does not initiate evil. Negativity, your bad day, your suffering, your pain, or your hurt. He, doesn't, he is not the author of that stuff. He's only the author of good things. His very core nature is sacrificial love. Because of Jesus, we've been lavished with the Father's love. We've been blessed. We're powerful. We've been saturated in grace. We're new creations and we are glorious. But we're also glorious jars of clay. Life can be fragile. And, you know, sometimes cracks appear. So this morning I want to give you some practical tools to use when life is hard. Now, let's get this working. I've got a little buzzer here. I literally had my hands full this morning. Oh, okay, that, you can see that quite well, can't you? I wondered if I'd done that in too small a typeface, but um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 4, 18. So it's quite a lengthy chapter, or like lengthy chunk, um, but out of this text, I'm going to um, give us some really good practical tools, I hope. <laughs> okay. In fact, let me get a drink before I start. not really sure you should have water near electrics, but hey. Okay, so even the ministry... Oh, by the way, this is from the Passion Translation. If you're, if you're reading from another translation, I love the Passion Translation. It's absolutely awesome. Anyway, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory. Is that me? No? Though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. That's a lot of glory, isn't it? Right there. A permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened, For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him. 
with a veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, it's because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant ministry. And we will not quit or faint with weariness. We reject every shameful cover-up and refuse to resort to cunning trickery or distorting the word of God. Instead, we open up our souls to you by presenting the truth to everyone's conscience in the sight and presence of God. Even if our gospel message is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing, for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day-spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. We don't preach ourselves, but rather the lordship of Jesus Christ, for we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light into us, the brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Christ. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within, so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then, death is at work in us, but it releases life in you. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, first I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe and then speak in faith. We do this because we are convinced that he who raised Jesus will raise us up with him, and together we will all be brought into his presence. Yes, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing him even more glory. So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. Whew. That's a whole lot of truth there, isn't it? A um, whole lot of glory. Um, I deliberately started reading from um, that part in uh, chapter 3, which is, I think it's headed something like the glory of the new covenant. Um, because it's important that we set chapter 4 in its rightful context. Because there is in this letter, like many of Paul's other letters, and I'm sure you know this, a logical flow. And if we miss the context, we're in danger of misinterpreting and consequently misunderstanding what he's actually saying. So in chapter 3, Paul is describing a new reality for every believer, every one of us. A new and incredibly glorious ministry of the Spirit. 
a ministry that imparts righteousness rather than demanding it. An amazing living hope inside us. And as Paul says, now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. That is rock and roll. We are so internally transformed that we shine brightly and literally mirror Jesus. So that's chapter 3, introduction. Then in chapter 4, Paul says that on the one hand, we have this amazing grace at work in us, but in the world in which we've been placed, we still might face human trials, hardship, disappointment, and suffering. But the great news is he's not phased one jot because, as he says, all things work for your enrichment so that more of God's marvelous grace will spread to more and more and more and more and more and more people, resulting in an even greater increase of praise to God, bringing him even more glory. So, let's just take a human reality check. Like the Apostle Paul, do you know what it's like to be under any kind of pressure? No. (laughs) Have you ever once had the thought cross your mind, uh, I don't know what to do? Have you ever been persecuted, wrong, rejected, or mistreated? Have you ever felt like you've been knocked down? Like life has literally taken the stuffing out of you. If you said yes to any of those things, not only are you in good company, like old Apostle Paul, but you've actually proved that you are actually a living, breathing human being. You've proved that Scripture is true and that our lives are, as Paul describes, jars of clay. However, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So in this world, we will have trouble. But, but, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And I love the Amplified version of this. It's brilliant. In the world, you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But, be courageous. Be confident. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. That's what we sang about this morning, isn't it? In Christ alone. So, what to do when life is hard? Jesus came, did he not, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1. So, in a word, actually all we need is Jesus. End of preach, 42, sit down. We do need Jesus. He is the one who has overcome And he enables us to do likewise. We are literally following in his slipstream of triumph and victory. That's our position. So if the Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth, it must be true that we also are chock full of grace and truth. Now, I've been a little bit cheeky because um, I've made truth an acronym. So I've actually got six tools for you to use. Um, Grace and T-R-U-T-H all will be revealed soon. Um, Over the last two weekends, um, not this weekend, but the previous two, I've been delivering some um, initial training to some new volunteers for the project I work for. Um, These guys are going to volunteer to mentor young people aged 8 to 19. Now, 
as with any role that involves um, regular contact with children and young people, they have to have a, um, it's imperative that they receive some form of safeguarding training as one of their sessions. So they have six sessions, one of them is on safeguarding. For this particular group of volunteers and the role that they're going to be asked to fulfill, they really only need to remember one thing. It's the golden rule. This is the golden rule. If you're concerned, contact the coordinator. So I say to them, if you only remember one thing in this session, because we do cover things like signs of abuse, symptoms of abuse, categories of abuse, we give them scenarios to think through, and it's all good, worthwhile stuff. But in reality, and it is good stuff, but in reality, the golden rule is, if you're concerned, contact the coordinator. When you're going through any form of trial, going through any form of hardship, please remember one thing. If you only remember one thing, let it this one, and it is grace. Grace is our undeserved, unmerited favour. It's God doing what only God can do. So it's not self-help, it's God help. If you're anything like me, you've been brought up with a sense of self-reliance. So maturity looks like I can keep myself safe, healthy, um, I can look after myself, I can, um, I can, uh, I can be healthy and thriving. Um, it's, it's a lot like self-help. But the gospel of grace completely turns that belief on its head. When you end up at the end of your rope and you can't see a way through, grace whispers, I can. I can see you through. It's, it's, it's God's ability working in you. Now, again, <laughs> in my experience, when I have trouble, hardship, I'm anxious, I'm disappointed, etc., etc., I, I tend to look to myself. I need to sort out this problem. I need to fix whatever needs fixing. I, 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 it's me, the focus is me, because that's how I'm kind of being trained to think. But grace says, I can. Grace is at the very heart of the new covenant. Grace is that gift, the gift of Christ himself. So the first point, and if you only remember one thing, go to, remind yourself, remember grace. Okay, truth. So T, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That was from chapter 3, verse 9 of that passage we just wrote. Uh, we just read, sorry. Remind yourself of your identity in Christ as R. You usher in faith, the spirit of faith. Thank God for everything and hope in the unseen. Pages stuck together. So in chapter 3, verse 9... Paul is basically reiterating what he said to the Romans in chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now again, when I've had faced trials or suffering, what have you, it's so easy to um, tune out of grace, of approval and acceptance and start listening to the voices of condemnation. 
So what does the voice or the sound of ministry of condemnation, as Paul talks about, what does it, what does it sound like? It sounds like disapproval, shame, criticism, blame. Somebody needs to be punished. Rebuke, belittlement, guilt. It's that sense of accusation. So you might have thoughts like, yep, you messed up again, didn't you? And you thought God is good. Well, he can't be very good if he's allowed that or that or that. Of course you failed. What else were you expecting to happen? Oh, you know why that happened. You sinned. Or you created your mess. Now you need to clean it up. Help is not coming. Or how about this one? Life will always be a struggle. That's the sound of condemnation. So how do we tune out of the voice of condemnation? Back to Paul's letter to Romans. What does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. God won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has raised his final verdict over them. Not guilty. Not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he, he's, he is continually praying for your triumph? That is just an amazing piece of scripture, is it not? Just let that cascade over your heart. Jesus is continually praying for your triumph. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Well, what about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, death threats? No, check this out. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. They are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We're considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Powerless, condemned. Yet, says Paul. Paul's yet is a little bit like Jesus saying, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. There's nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. That is 
heaven's perspective. So if you're like me, you're like, oh, I'm drowning in misery. Life is really hard, and I genuinely do know. If anybody, you know, there's fortunately lots of people here who know my story. I have had what I feel like is a lifetime of difficulty and problems. Made redundant, anxious, fearful, I've suffered panic attacks, all manner of stuff. I know what it's like to come under a weight of pressure, of circumstances just seemingly snowballing into a huge overload and burnout. But it's his love. It's his love. It's his victory. It's not, it's, it's literally like, it's not down to me. We have an advocate. We have somebody on our behalf who's continually praying for our triumph. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced. I've convinced myself, and I know it's true because of my life and everything I've experienced, there is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can dis distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Now, Jen Gollidge talked a couple of weeks ago about the power of declarations. And you know what? Turns out she's 100% right. Jesus declared stuff all the time. And he wants us to do likewise. We need to declare back to those voices that condemn us, that would seem to want to squash us, no way. There is no condemnation for me because I triumph over all things in Jesus. Or you could say, nah, -uh, there's no condemnation for me because Jesus has designed and created me to be more than a conqueror. To declare, because I, I'm, there's no condemnation because no power or authority can weaken God's love for me. There's no condemnation for me because the Father lavishes his love on me. When you boldly declare stuff like that, silence falls. The shh of heaven cascades over our minds. It's true Peace gets restored. Minds get quieted when you declare stuff like that. It is powerful. Jesus literally walks into your experience. But how often do we go quiet, quiet, withdraw, small, small, don't be seen? Often our first response isn't to boldly go and declare truths like that. But that's a good tool. Next one. Remind yourself or bring to mind, recall, remember your identity in Christ. So Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, particularly the first part, that we are glorious. And we're only becoming increasingly more glorious. So in chapter 3, verse 18, he says... We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever thought yourself like that? We've all stood in front of the mirror, haven't we? Imagine 
waking up one day, going to the bathroom or wherever, looking in a mirror, and you literally see Jesus staring back at you. That would just be really freaky. We are being transfigured into the very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Holy Spirit is at work transfiguring you. In chapter 4, verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but rather the Lordship of Jesus Christ, for we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness, is the one who has cascaded his light into us, the brilliant dawning of light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within. You carry a glorious treasure within. What Paul is saying is this. Do you know that you are magnificent? You're wonderful. You're celebrated. You're delightful. You're splendid. Because that's what being glorious means. And as we've read, there's a lot of glory in this passage that it's talked about. God's glory coming to us such that we literally mirror Jesus where we go. Reminding yourself you're glorious is all about your identity and your subsequent inheritance. So did you know that right now you have a wealth of glorious riches as an inheritance from God right in your belly and that is your treasure? Not your pain, not your difficulty, whether it's external circumstances, external things happening or it's internal. You have a wealth of God's riches. Ephesians 1.18 confirms it. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. That is good news for bad times. So when life sucks, can I encourage you just to stop? I like literally stop and cease. Let grace stimulate and provoke you to a place of rest. Just, just really just silence your thinking and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what, he, what Paul talks about here, what Paul is praying here. To ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you the wealth of his glorious riches that he sees in you specifically. So obviously I'm talking about general things that applies to all of us. But you can ask Holy Spirit to show you, tell you, communicate somehow to you what are your glorious, uh, sorry, glorious in treasure that's within. That was our, you. How are you doing time wise? All right. Usher in faith. As I've got on the this, on this slide there, faith is really important. It's the audacity to believe in the not yet seen. Faith, when you look at it like that, is obviously really important when you're in the mire. I love this quote. Faith is the muscle you use when you decide to blast outside of your circumstances, your comfort zone, and transform your life into something that's practically unrecognizable to you in your present reality. Faith smothers your fear of the unknown. Faith allows you to take risks. Faith is the stuff of leap 
and the net will appear. Really, really important when life sucks. Chapter 4, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians says, we have the spirit of faith, and when we speak in faith, incredible things happen. But like I said earlier, so often when, when circumstances conspire against us, when there's sickness, illness, or relational difficulties, or stuff's bad at work, we become um, more silent, we shrink back, we withdraw, we lose heart, we lose our voice. But Paul says, believe and then speak in faith. So Proverbs 18, 20, 21 says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. So your words can literally help your breakthrough, can either work towards your freedom, or it can keep you right in the thick of it, or even make it worse. So my heartfelt encouragement is obviously to speak and declare faith, not failure. Declaring is bringing the already at hand and given promises of God into reality. So it is different to praying and asking and requesting. It's going, I know what the truth is, because this is a promise. I'm now declaring it to bring it into reality. I'm declaring it out loud. This is not positive thinking, even though doing it will have a positive impact on your thinking. This is speaking out loud the sounds of heaven to shift the atmosphere of earth. It's saying that whilst life is super tough right now, and there is truth to it, there is a higher truth that is truer than true. And my speaking out ushers in the faith and change I want to see. Now, if you're thinking, oh man, that sounds quite hard. I've never done this sort of declaring before. Let me give you the first starting point. To get good at declaring stuff, I really recommend you start here, which is thankfulness. Thankfulness is so powerful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, again I'm using the Passion Translation, says, and in the midst of everything, everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? It's God's perfect plan. It's almost like, well, is there a non-perfect plan? (laughs) Is there a B plan or C plan, God? His perfect plan is thankfulness. Thankfulness is incredibly powerful and totally transformational. And it's never too early and it's never too late to practice thankfulness. It's hard, particularly when you're experiencing things like disappointment, fear, anxiety, uncertainty. But again, believe me, I delib- when, when the tough stuff happens to me, I deliberately choose thankfulness. And in that process, my perspective shifts from the pants situation I'm in to something more glorious. When we're thankful, we're choosing to fix and focus and fill our mind with brilliant stuff and silencing the negative, silencing the condemnation, silencing those thoughts of fear, anger, rage, bitterness, whatever. And the consequence to thinking brilliantly is that we start to feel brilliant. And subsequently, we start to behave brilliantly. Because perspective, when you're going through tough times, is vital. So have you ever been in an experience that's really tough, really difficult, and you've looked back, 
maybe a month later, six months later, a year later, and you've gone something like this. Oh, thank you, God. I can see now your faithfulness. Looking back, I can see you were in control all along. Yeah, yeah, God, I can see, actually. I didn't need to be fearful or anxious. God, you did see me through, and actually, you always do. Now, here's my point. Did you know that you can have that perspective in the midst of your pants situation? So rather than waiting until after the event and looking back with gratitude, why not declare his goodness and faithfulness in the midst? How do you do that? Thanksgiving. It's almost like God's giving us a, a super-duper weapon, like a... Brilliant. Hope in the unseen is the last H. So when your circumstances drain the life out of you, one of the first things down that drain is your hope. Hope means... Do you like that? I came on the board there. I was quite impressed with that. Not being very techy. Hope is the confident expectation of a desire fulfilled. And like I say, when we're facing tough challenging circumstances, that confident expectation, again, diminishes. What's Paul's advice? It's basically this, isn't it? We read it in chapter 4, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. It's basically, in a nutshell, please don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And the best unseen, at least to the naked eye, is back to Jesus. Full of grace and truth. When life gets rough and tough, placing your hope in Jesus is the absolute, absolute best response. The writer of Hebrews explains this. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor. Holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. This anchor that, that this writer is talking about is Jesus himself. But again, if you're anything like me, when things get tough, when things are painful and hard, it's so easy to look to the visible, the seen. In myriad of ways, food, for example, comfort eating, I need chocolate, I've got to have chocolate, get me some chocolate. We go shopping and buy a load of stuff because it feels good. We might get our heads stuck into work, work harder, faster, smarter. More hours distracted by work means less hours working on those difficult and challenging circumstances you're facing. These kind of things, these visible things, it's kind of like a form of numbing, numbing the pain, numbing the circumstances, numbing the situation, or actually it could be just flat-out denial. Maybe for you, the scene is binging on TV and any other electronic device you fancy. I was on a course this week. Oh, that was a safeguarding course as well, actually. And the guy there, when he told me some... We gave a handout, then he gave some stats and figures about the detrimental impact of electronic devices, the hours that young people spend on it. And to be frank, I'm not sure adults are any better. Like, the break comes, and within 30 seconds... Oh, yeah, email. Oh, yeah, text. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lunch break comes. Right, we're going to break for lunch for 15 minutes. Phone's out. It's really, really alarmingly detrimental to our thinking to binge, and I mean binge, on TV. Food, I love food, don't get me wrong. 
Food is not evil. It's not. Shopping is not. Okay. Working hard is good. Having any work is good, it turns out. TV can be great, but I'm talking about the excess, and you know what it's like. Well, hope, do you know what it's like? You know, I see the visible. Just give me the visible. I'm in too much pain to start thinking about supernatural or kingdom-orientated thoughts, so we go to the visible. But heaven's wisdom is to set our minds on things above, shift that perspective, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He really is our tangible hope, faith, and glory. Final thought, as it's ten past twelve. There's a changing of the guard. I think there's new strength coming, new perspectives, new hope, new potency as that guard is changed, as that protection is changed. If you're here this morning and you're in the middle of any, any, any form of trial, any form of pain, I want you to know for a 100% certainty that God's promise to you is he always, but always, leads his people through. He always leads his people through. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Neil starts with um, Psalm 23, at the beginning of their meeting. He closes their meeting with um, Psalm 23. David said in that psalm, even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he had nothing to fear. Again, when things come down on you, you feel stuck. Don't you? You feel like this is never going to change. Will my life ever, ever get any better? Will it improve? I'll tell you this for certainty. As true as I'm standing here now, he always leads his people through. God delivered the people of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. Isaiah declared that we can walk through the fire and not be burnt. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He will not, he will not, he will not keep you stuck in a pants situation where your life sucks. He always, always carries you through. He always has the last word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness. You are a good God. You are not the author and the initiator of troubles, persecution, hardship, pain, sickness, and the rest alike. You are goodness personified. And I declare your goodness over us as a body of people. I pray, God, that if there are anybody here who are suffering any form of trial, they would have the reinsurance, the encouragement, the strengthening that comes from a changing of the guard, from a change of perspective. That they will remember grace. It's your ability, God. We, it is by, it by grace that we have been saved and healed and delivered. It's by grace that you're going to carry us through. And I declare for everybody here this morning, anybody, everybody who might be going through tough times, God, that you will take them through, not only through, but you'd speed up that going through. That there will be a brilliant light 
at the end of the tunnel. That God, your light and your truth would cascade over troubled minds. God, I pray for peace in people's minds right now. That those stormy thoughts would be stilled. That silence would fall and they would hear the whisper of grace. I can. I will lead you through. I will carry you through. I'm just reminded of that footprints. <laughs> you know that footprints, um, verse, poetry, whatever it is, where the guy's ranting to God about, why were you not with me through this hardship? Why were you not with me through this suffering? Why is there only one set of footprints in the sand? That was when I was at my worst. And the, the sound of heaven is, but child, that's, that's when I carried you. That's when I carried you. I didn't abandon you. I didn't leave you. I can't abandon my children. I can't abandon my people. That point there was when I was carrying you. Father, thank you that you carry us through all the time and always. And you always, 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 always have the last say and the final word. Amen.